You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, friends, and welcome to this edition of the Thirsty Dogs Drink Faster podcast on the SB Nation Podcast Network. I am your co-host, Paul Hudrick from Liberty Ballers, and I am joined by, as always, Seamus Clancy of Philly Voice. Seamus, big Eagles win this weekend, so that's the the great news to start off. Uh, Elated over that one. I can't say convincing because it was very, very scary there at the end, 38-35, they pull it out. The defense had some issues there at the end, which we're going to talk about. You were at Jonathan Gannon's presser today. Um, we'll get into that a little bit. But I think I want to start off with Jalen Hurts, who, man, uh, I've seen some like weird negative discourse, but I thought he was terrific. I thought he offensively, he was probably the reason the Eagles won the game, um, which I don't think you could say about a lot of the games last year where I would say Jalen Hurts is the reason they won. Um but I thought Sunday, I, I thought he was. I thought he was spectacular. I think his throw to A.J. Brown down the right sideline right before the first yes. half is the best throw he's made since I he's agree. entered the NFL. And if you just took everything else away and you look at that specific development and what the addition of A.J. Brown means when his Eagles debut, he goes for 10 catches, 155 yards. Eagles an article on Philly Voice dot com this week looking at every sort of record or near record that he set in this game for just i think it was the 49th highest total in eagles history just straight up receiving yards highest total for a player in his first game as an eagle it was you know the first 10 catch 155 yard game since jeremy macklin in 2014 wow there is true star power here at wide receiver in a way that eagles fans i guess younger than us have no concept of <laughs> no they do not i mean this is like again I'm, we've made the parallel a lot and this kind of lived up to it right this is like this was t-o-esque like when he first arrived and how ridiculous he was in his debut um it's sort of on that level because he was just like it's like to your point just star power like they couldn't stop him like once once he got going it was that first little catch up the middle where it was like a four-yard gain that he turns into a nine-yard gain it just he's one of those guys who just like refuses to go down. I've seen him say that, like he thinks every play he's going to score a touchdown. And you see that. And I agree with that. That throw by Hertz, that, that was a dime. And we all know that was such a big storyline about him throwing a deep ball and how much he did struggle with that last year. And that was a dime. That was such a beautiful throw down the sideline. The other thing I saw that I really liked, um, and I've seen some other people point this out, getting rid of the, like living to play another down, getting rid of the ball, throwing it out of bounds. Um, just those little, like that's, that's winning football, right? Like when, when you're doing things to, to live for another down and knowing that you have this offense that's that's so high-powered, you have all these weapons, you're going to score, but you're not going to score in every possession. So if you don't have anything, tuck it and run or get down um, or, or throw the ball away. I will say this, though, um, and this isn't even a criticism of Hurts. It's just a criticism perhaps of 
maybe the offensive line, maybe their preparation against the blitz a little bit, but just too many, too many attempts. Right. I mean, and the fact that the lions, it seemed like they were taking some liberties and kind of jumping on a little bit after he's sliding. And you don't really like to see that, but in general, you just don't want to see the guy run 18 times. Yeah, and it's, it's weird because do you view those scrambles? And he had way more success on a yards per carry basis on scrambles rather than those design runs he had. Do you equate that as an extension of the running game? Do you look at that as an extension of the passing game? Because it's you know theoretically a passing play when he's dropping back like that. And ideally, you'd probably want him to throw a little bit more in those situations. But when it comes down to those high leverage situations, those third down situations, those fourth down situations, you're just, again want to get on the the next play you're not worried about his specific career trajectory and development on that specific play you're just wanting to extend this drive and get a first down right there right it's a he's playing he's playing to win i mean and that's what you're supposed to do uh you're not supposed to be worried about oh well maybe i should like that's for film room uh, you know the next day that is not for the in the game you're just trying to win and i think there was probably maybe not quite a handful, but at least like three third downs that he ran for that were huge. And it's it's a backbreaker. If you're the defense, you have everything covered up. Um, you, you force him into third down and then he extends a drive with his legs. It's just, it, it's so crushing for the defense. And I, But I thought even too, just like throwing the football, I thought he was good. Like he wasn't great. Um, there's still some times where you could argue, yeah, he, he might've left a play or two on the field, but I, I am more encouraged by that. And I think too, um, a lot of people are downplaying that this Detroit Lions team is not a bad football team. I, at least I don't think they're going to be. I think they're going to be a much improved team. They lost a lot of close games last year. Uh, they have good lines, defensive and offensive, and they have some pretty good players. So, yeah, I mean, they're not it's not, you know, it's not like going up against the Chiefs or anything in week one, but it, it was a, a decent opponent. Um, I definitely want to get into the defense a little bit, though, because as we as I kind of mentioned off the top, you know, they scored 24 points in the second quarter. It looks like they're going to cruise. Then, uh-oh, um, you know, the second half, it, it seemed like they took their foot off the brakes as a team. Um, I, I thought Jonathan Gannon a little bit took his foot off the gas um, as far as the blitz packages, which I thought worked in some situations. Jared Goff is a guy that you can pressure, you can get to him, and he will struggle with that. The running game was a huge issue. Philly's DeAndre Swift, excellent. Um, he is a really good back, and I think he's going to have a really big year. And as I mentioned, their offensive line is very good. Uh, you were there today, uh, Jonathan Gannon's presser. Just, I, I guess for you, first of all, what was your takeaway from the defense and kind of that late game sort of collapse? And then what were Gannon's comments, and what did you make of those today? Well, I guess in the NFL, the ultimate chicken or the egg situation, well, is it scheme or is it coaching? And this isn't an overarching statement on Gannon's entire tenure. He should be fired. Those type of kind of pitchforky comments. But I don't think the scheme worked well. And I don't think the personnel worked well on Sunday. And I think it was a situation where there is such a great amount of talent and resources and big names in this defensive line slash pass rush. And really for the last year, going all throughout last season, there were the second fewest sacks in the entire NFL with nine or 29 last year. And you're left thinking, you know, Jonathan Gannon isn't the one out there rushing the passer. He's not Hassan Reddick. He's not Josh Sweat. But I think if you look in terms of who he's putting out there, besides just how he's utilizing the personnel more than the personnel themselves, the one that everyone is talking about is the lack of usage for Jordan Davis, right? He plays 2020, plays 22 defensive snaps on Sunday. And the team looks at least statistically, has a better run defense out there. When he's there, 
rather than when he's not out there. And that could be a situation where, hey, these guys just didn't end up breaking tackles on those specific plays. But I don't think you can downplay the impact of a guy like that being in the middle of the field and that sort of changing the gravity of the entire offense. Yeah, and and like we talked, like like I mentioned already, like the, the running game is what killed him, right? It wasn't Jared Goff picking them apart. Like it, it was the run game that that gashed them, that really hurt them. And when that happens, it sets up third and shorts and third and manageable where your pass rush isn't as effective. Not to make excuses because they weren't good enough. You, you mentioned Reddick. They paid him an awful lot of money. The idea was he's double-digit sacks the last two seasons. This is a guy who's supposed to get to the quarterback. We didn't see much of that. Um, I will say there were some – I thought maybe he was in covers like a little too much for my taste. I know that's part of what Gannon wants to do. He wants to be multiple. He wants to disguise some things, but I, I don't know. This is a guy who – and he's also like, you know, blitzing from like from the inside linebacker position. It's like, is that what you really want Hassan Reddick to do? Like he's here to get – to be on the edge and, and get after the quarterback. And I, I'm not sure if we had just enough pure snaps of him doing that. Um, and this is – I think it's fair to point out too that it is going to be a feeling out thing because – it, like you said too, it, we don't want to make this Jonathan Gannon needs to be fired. We don't want to make it into that whole thing. Last year, he probably didn't, he not probably he didn't, he didn't have the personnel that he would have liked to run what he wanted to run. And this year he has that it's going to take, take some time. And again, this is going to sound excusey a little bit, but when you don't, when you're, when some of your top players on the defensive front, are veterans and they're not playing preseason games at all. And then they have to step into a road environment week one and go up against a team. That's that's young. That's hungry. That's, that's trying to prove something. That's not the best environment for them to kind of step in and, and, and have to, you know, play 40 something snaps. Um, so there's that. And that's, again, I don't want to use that as an excuse, but it's a factor um, that is a reasoning there. Then I also thought, you know, Gannon got a lot of criticism last year for maybe not blitzing as much. I thought in the, the, the rare times he did it Sunday, it seemed to be effective. Um, did he have a, a reasoning for maybe why he kind of toned that down or or kind of what his overarching look of that was? He didn't get into specifics right, regarding blitzing now. No. But um, the thing I'm thinking is week one can always be anomaly. I think in 2020, sure. Tom Brady and the Bucks lost what was it, like 42 nothing or something against the Saints and they go on and win the Super Bowl. But this upcoming Monday Night Football home opener, week two, national stage, I think this is a defining test for Jonathan Gannon right here. The Eagles' schedule, pretty soft to start the year. This Minnesota team will be the best offense they play until they host the Green Bay Packers on Sunday Night Football in week 12. That's November 27th. Between now and then, this is the greatest test this defense will get, the greatest test Jonathan Gannon will get. Kirk Cousins, not a guy I really want to start for your favorite team in the playoffs. Good regular season quarterback. Yeah. And a new head coach in there, and Kevin O'Connell, who's going to put an emphasis on passing game and, and really attacking the ball downfield and maximizing Justin Jefferson's talent. And then that's the big part, Justin Jefferson, right? He has this mythological status, infamy status in Philadelphia because <laughs> of everything that happened with the Jalen Rager pick and him going after the Vikings uh, front office celebrating in the draft war room, all of that type of stuff. And it just seems like a situation where I can foresee my official prediction for the game is Eagles 38 Vikings seven. Just, I kind of have to do that. I <laughs> in our weekly prediction call. I like it. In Philly voice. I just gave, you're supposed to give like two or three paragraphs talking about the game. I said, look, I have to do this specific score. Or I lose my long-term, uh, you know, hardcore readers. I cannot do that, but I think, uh, <laughs> yes, I get it. 
Yeah. <laughs> Clear situation where Justin Jefferson on Sunday against the Packers had 184 receiving yards and two touchdowns. I don't know if I'll get exactly that, but a situation where he scores one or two touchdowns, gets 150 yards, and the Eagles lose 38-24, rather realistic. I'm not saying that's going to yeah. happen. I'm not saying it's in the you know the 75%, 75 times of 100 times it's happening or anything like that. But you could just see this guy absolutely torching this defense. You have another week of questioning. It's a short week, short turnaround, and they're one and one going against the two and zero Washington Commanders on the road down in in Landover, Maryland, against Carson Wentz. And if that doesn't go well, maybe they're going to be calling for his job. I don't think that's necessarily warranted right now. But if you have concerns out there, if you're a fan who may have been into Jonathan Gannon before, you had you bought into all this offseason hype from the media, from fans, local, national, whatever it is. It's understandable and it's warranted to have concerns right now, but I wouldn't be as, you know, apocalyptic about it until we see what happens Monday night. Right. And I think that's for me, I was not impressed with him in his first year, but I came into this season with an open mind and I still have an open mind because like you said, you don't, it's week one, weird stuff happens. Guys are not in their groove yet. Like, like things are going to change so much week to week. It's just the way the league goes. So, and even, I mean, look at the Eagles last year, even, I mean, they, they did not get off to a great start. I mean, granted, a lot of things really broke their way down the stretch. They beat up on a lot of bad teams. I'll say too, the, the, you know, Justin Jefferson is obviously the biggest focal point, but I'm worried about Dalvin Cook in a big way too. Um, I'm worried about the Vikings running attack. You look what, look at what Detroit just did to them. Uh, you know, I, I have my concerns there. And then on the other side of the ball, you know, they stymied Aaron Rodgers. Uh, granted, if we talk about week ones again, they that's like an Aaron Rodgers thing. The, the poor starts and then going on MVP runs to end the seasons. But, you know, they stymied Aaron Rodgers for four quarters. So what are they going to have in store for Jalen Hurts? What are they going to have in store for A.J. Brown? Um, Devontae Smith, zero catches. So they're clearly going to need more out of him. Now, I'm not one of those people that's going to freak out over Devontae Smith not catching a football. You scored 30, well, 31 points from the offense. Your one receiver had 10 catches for 155 yards. I'm not too worried about Devontae Smith having no catches. I expect that Minnesota will pay much more attention to A.J. Brown this week than the Lions did, and I anticipate that will lead to more targets for Devontae Smith. Correct. That's the exact reaction you should have for the people freaking out. Oh, he's he's best friends with A.J. He's not best friends with Devontae anymore. (laughs) They got it. They clearly had a rapport. They worked together really well this summer. They they really connected in training camp. And sometimes it was just seven on sevens, which is kind of BS and not real football, or it's, you know, fake live actions, uh, 11 on 11. But those slant routes across the middle, that little stuff to A.J. Brown, where he's able to rack up that yak after, was clearly what they should have been doing all summer and what it seemed like the team was focusing on. I wrote about it in all my training camp observations on Philly Voice, and that's exactly what they did in week one. And eventually you're going to start seeing the safety shading over towards A.J. Brown, and then Devontae Smith's going to be more open. They're going to run some more things over Devontae once they see the way defenses are shifting and shaping around A.J., and then you see a situation where because of the way Jalen's tucking the ball and running on passing situations, they're going to start having to put a QB spy out there. What happens when that middle of the field is – predicated on stopping Jalen Hurts in the run, then Dallas Goddard's going to get get his and eat over the middle of the field too. There are going to be options there. And then it's, just, it's putting a lot on Jalen Hurts. He's not going to domestically, magically become Patrick Mahomes by Monday night. But I think he's in a situation where he's played his best game 
as an Eagles quarterback, I'm talking about a strictly passing performance. I think you could say that in week one. Yes, having elite wide receiver talent helps, but that's the point of constructing a team. It's a team. It's not just the season right. isn't this defined about whether Jalen Hurts is the eighth best quarterback in the league or the 23rd best quarterback in the league. It's decided about how far they go in the postseason. And what you're mentioning too, you know, that they are so they are so close. They did work together a ton during the summer. When it is week one and you don't have a lot of preseason, you don't have as much rapport perhaps built up with the other guys, you're going to go back to kind of your default. You're going to go back to what you know works. And what does Jalen Hurts know? He knows I can beat defenses with my legs, and he knows I can find A.J. Brown, and he's going to be open, and he's going to make a play. So that's kind of the default, right? So I think that's part of it, too. It's it's not that he does, he clearly has some chemistry with Devontae Smith. Devontae Smith set the rookie record for, for receiving yards last year with Jalen Hurts at quarterback. So clearly they have a rapport, too. Dallas Goddard as well had a very good year last year playing with Jalen Hurts. So I'm not concerned about necessarily that going forward. But, yeah, I, I think on Monday night you'll see the ball spread around a little bit more. Uh, I could see them running the ball a little bit more as far as the – like like Miles Sanders, I thought could have touched the ball more. He was really really good. He had a couple of really he had that one huge carry on that third down that kind of iced the game away. Um, or was fourth down? Was it fourth down yeah. or third? I can't. Fourth down. Um, that you know that's the play of the game right there. And he came. It was a really great read by him. He saw nothing was out was inside. It was all clogged up. Bounced it outside and goes for a big gain. Um, but yeah. Uh, so your official prediction is thirty eight to seven, and I respect you for sticking with that. Stay on brand. I like it. Um, for me, man, it's going to be a tough one. I, I, I give them the edge because they're at home because I I think that's, and Monday night prime time, I I expect the pass rush to be much better. I expect them to be much better against the run. It's going to be a good crowd. It's going to be a, it's going to be a, a, a raucous, insane crowd. And it's going to be awesome. Um, so I do give the Eagles a slight edge. I think it's going to be kind of low scoring. Uh, I think it's going to almost be like a heavyweight back. So I think the Vikings to to what we talked about earlier are maybe a little bit better than some people are giving them credit for this year. I, I think they have the potential to be a pretty good team. Um, and I, I really liked what I saw out of their defense in week one. I, I, I could see this being more of like a 21 17 game uh, with the Eagles okay. coming out on top, something like that. But I do anticipate, listen, I, I think Justin Jefferson is going to get his because I think he's great. And I think he's just going to get his. The Eagles have two above average corners with, with Slay and Bradbury, and they're going to do everything they can. And I'm sure, you know, Jefferson moves all around. I'm sure Maddox is going to get lined up against them from time to time. I don't know if I, I know sometimes Slay does the trail um, where he follows the best receiver. Not always. So we'll see how that kind of goes. But then you still got like Adam Thielen, who's still a damn good receiver in his own right, who maybe gets overlooked because of how great Justin Jefferson is and how he's developed. So um, we won't see much of Jalen Rager, though, I imagine. He didn't have any, at least no targets. He might have had zero offensive I snaps. Bl- I, uh, he had I zero offensive correct. snaps. That is correct. One punt return for seven oh, yards. So You have to say seven yards. Yeah. I He's got, you know, well, I don't want to. <laughs> imagine him fielding that punt for the first time. It's the first quarter. It's up in the air. Oh, 70,000 people are screaming bloody murder. And what happens? fair catch um the, the, the quickest he's ever <laughs> thrown up a fair catch signal in his entire life oh man that's gonna be fun it is that's it's gonna add a little so i feel so i do i feel bad for him in a lot of ways because look you can't control who picks you you can't control where you're picked that aspect yes is unfair to him anything else that occurs because of the way he's 
say I don't I don't know him personally. Everyone in the locker room seemed to hold him in relatively high esteem. They thought he was a hard worker, yes. but uh, his his presence and demeanor I think reflected poorly on some of the fan base. I would yes, say. I'm just, I'm trying to put it as politely as possible. No, he just... he the situation was bad, and I think he compounded it by some of his actions. I think that's fair right. to say. Um, and I think he had some personal issues this off season, which he discussed sure. a lot on social media. So I don't want to be too ignorant, but I think he didn't himself know favors after the initial stuff that he that was out of his control in terms of uh, him versus Jefferson being compared for till the end of time in this city. I would agree with that. And that's <laughs> it's, and it is going to be to the end of the time, despite AJ Brown being here. And despite him being wonderful, uh, we're going to have that debate till the end of time. Sadly, uh, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, after this, we are going to talk some Phillies. We are going to talk a little bit of Sixers, a little bit of flyers, not too much in the, the going on in those worlds, but a really good John Tortorella piece came to light. And I want to get your thoughts on it, but we're going to take a quick break here on the thirsty dogs drink faster podcast. We'll be right back. All right. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Three, two. All right, we are back, and we are talking Phillies. So the Phillies. Well, I have I have an oh. interesting Eagles note right here. Quick oh, no, move. no, no, very, please. very, very minor. Nothing crazy news breaking like the the Trez sign during <laughs> last week's podcast. But Eagles placed Derek Barnett towards ACL on Sunday on injured reserve, and they have signed uh, Janarius Robinson, defensive end from another team's practice squad. Whose practice squad, you ask? The, the Minnesota Dallas Vikings County. practice Matt, squad. There, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yep, yep. That's Howie War games going on. Yeah. That they signed the act. So that's an active roster signing, huh? I would think so, yes. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. I'm curious. I know literally nothing about him. So let's, I guess so we're going to figure it out. Again, we're going to find some stuff out. Well, we'll find some, some stuff out right now, but then we're definitely going to find out. I mean, maybe this is what gets Jordan Davis on the field more because they do more of those five-man fronts. And He was a fourth-round pick last year out of Florida State. Okay. Also, the alma mater of Josh Webb. They might have, ah, I, and you know what? I don't think I, they would have. I don't think they would have overlapped, but maybe, maybe no, in the 2017 I, season. I believe Jim. I believe Robinson was a guy who had a lot of hype. Um, kind of similar to Josh Sweat had a lot of hype coming in. I don't think not like Sweat. You know, Sweat obviously had the injury issues. Uh, but I believe Robinson was like a really, really high recruit and then struggled a little bit and kind of maybe not even struggled, but just kind of didn't quite live up to that billing. I could be mistaken about that. I could be thinking of someone else. Yeah. But, and uh, I would say, let's see, 16, 26, 34 collegiate games. He had eight sacks across four seasons. Yeah. Not really impressive numbers. He had two total his first two years and across his junior and senior year, he only had six total sacks. Yeah. So it seems like little sweat molds, as you're saying. I like yeah. that comp. I like Yeah. It. Yeah. So we'll see. We'll see. Maybe they, they see maybe they see something. Um I'm I'm putting in one of the group chats next Josh Sweat and see if I get a reaction <laughs> I like it. I don't please don't assign that to me though. I don't want to take any credit or blame for that. So um <laughs> but all right, so the Eagles have a new defensive end, so there's that. Um, but I think, you know, like we already talked about. 
should be very, very exciting Monday night. I'm very much looking forward to it. And I'm very much looking forward to talking to you about it um, on next Tuesday. But let's one talk- more point. Yes. Can I get one more point in? Please. I, as I, many I points as you this. like. This is a intrigue. This is more of a fun podcast I want to discuss. So I sent it. I sent it to a couple of group chats last night while watching the Monday night football game. Obviously Dak Prescott's injury hmm. completely changes what the NFC East picture is this year. The Eagles odds for both the division, the conference and the, and the Super Bowl all skyrocketed yesterday in the aftermath of Dak's Sunday night football injury. And I posed a question to my friends, obviously most of my group chats are Eagles focused. I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, it's a pretty <laughs> similar case for you as well. I said, would you rather the you know, Cowboys have a terrible year this year, but Dak comes back next year and the Eagles win this and the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. So obviously most Eagles fans, that's, you know, an all times doomsday scenario. Or would you rather them trade for Nick Foles, go on a huge <laughs> run and win a playoff game, but don't win the Super Bowl. Uh, so would you rather see Nick yeah. Foles win a playoff game with the Cowboys? Like, does that sting more? Than just seeing them win the Super Bowl. No, nah, seeing the Cowboys win the Super Bowl would sting more than anything on the face of the earth. That's and I actually consensus, that was the consensus response. Yeah, and, I, and the idea of Nick Foles winning a playoff game for the Cowboys does suck. But um, what could potentially be fun about that is that then it's oh well, he won a playoff game. Do we? <laughs> it starts a weird thing with Dak, like it did with Carson, and that could be that could actually be a lot of fun if that happened. So. But in this scenario, too, I mean, there's nothing that says the Eagles also can't win a playoff game, right? Or 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 a couple of like the games. Eagles could theoretically win the Super Bowl. In this right. hypothetical so in just give me the Cowboys not winning the Super Bowl. And that sounds terrific. I wonder. I mean, I guess Foles would be a guy on the radar. I'm trying to think of who else. Um, I mean, that one guy treated like Minshew and I just wrote an article that was like, no, that was like no, no way that would defeat. It's just you're, you're sabotaging yourself. I wanted to have a one word article, but my editor, Evan Mates, he was like, <laughs> you need to flesh it out a little bit more because that title was like, should the Eagles trade Gardner yeah. Minshew, the Cowboys? I wanted to just say no with like no. The, the really big end for the start of the article and then just, oh, like not it. Be it, but yeah, no, no, that would have been fair to give some, uh, some analysis though. Sure. Sure. Uh, I mean, I'm just like spitballing who, what other like backup, you just did that article on the backup quarterbacks. Who's, who's like the guy, like who, who uh, uh, Foles makes a lot of sense. Um, well, some of the, like I had uh Tarad Taylor was, but he's the Giants yeah. quarterback, right? There was a he's thing that came man. out uh some odds this morning. The, the wording was weird and it said, which QB will Cowboys sign in 2022, which really I think just meant which one will they acquire? Right. Uh, Garrett Gilbert was number one with four to one odds. He was their Nick backup Foles, before, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Nick Foles, nine to two odds. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater, who's the backup in Miami right now, uh. five to one odds. Gardner Minshew, obviously the Eagles backup, six to one. Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's currently on Thursday Night Football, yes. six to one. And Cam Newton, uh, who's hmm. uh, unemployed at the time in terms yeah. of just being on the NFL roster, nine to one. And then one that I would, I don't know how I'd feel. Jimmy G at 11 to 1. I wouldn't hmm. necessarily like the Cowboys to acquire a guy who I think is a talented player, a good leader in the middle of the season, and maybe get them on a playoff run. And he's just so darn handsome, too. It could create <laughs> a lot of friction in the locker room, uh, you know, Foles Wentz style, as you alluded to a little bit in terms of Jimmy G versus Dak, if they have some modicum of success this year. Yeah. There's some chaos factor there. Yeah. If they trade for Jimmy G. Maybe that, I guess that's what it is too. Like, right? Like, you, if you're them, you don't want to give up too much because the chances of you 
let's say theoretically they they make a move for Jimmy G of getting him up to speed on your offense. And and not only that, like theoretically, like that's not out for the year, right? Like, I mean, he's going to come back eventually. So you almost need to like, I, I, I me, if it were me, I would think I, I would probably try to, my first thought might be to try to talk Ryan Fitzpatrick out of retirement. Yeah. He's, so that, that was one of their things. Right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's probably what I would, that's probably would be my first move. Cause you just need to like Fitzpatrick is, is perfect for that. Right. Like just get you through a couple weeks. Yeah. He's gonna do some. Weird I would do shit it if, if and... I was them. I would. I would do it. Yeah. Yeah. I. I. That. That would probably be my first move to try to convince him to come back for a couple of weeks. I don't know if he will, but yeah. Other than that, Foles does make a lot of sense. Um. I don't know, but it's 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 just I. I think getting acclimating a quarterback to your system. I mean, granted, there's a lot of time, but then also Dak's gonna come back, so I don't know. It's a little funky. They might they might just ride it out with their guys and see what happens. And I think they're gonna rush Dak back, and it's gonna compound things and make it worse. Yeah, that would not be good because he's already had that injured that ankle injury from 2020 that seemed to resurface right before the season started too, and then he fractures the thumb, and you're wondering what the hell's the deal at this point with the guy. Yeah, well, that's it was so the Monday night football pregame show, uh, Monday night countdown. Steve Young was talking about, it, and he said like a quarterback needing a, a screw and a plate into his thumb. Like that's not something that typically goes well. Like that's not something that's not normal for a guy to have to do that. So like the, the idea, I know didn't like Jerry Jones today say something like he expect Dak, Dak, like they're not putting him on IR. So I think he could be back in four weeks, like from a pro. Yeah. I think they're, what would throat? happen was that he could be, he could be back for the Eagles game. Yeah. Theoretically in week six. I don't see how that's possible. Um, I listen, more power to Jerry for for Jera to uh, get excited and, and think that he, they can do it. But I, I, I could see them kind of just riding it out only because do you really want to give up premium picks for something that might not work? You know what I mean? Like if they sign for yeah. if they trade for Foles, they give up a decent pick. Like there's zero guarantee that's going to work out. In fact, there's probably more chance that it doesn't work out. And is that really worth it? Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm glad you brought that up because I wouldn't know. So that's terrible for me setting the agenda for this podcast and not bringing up a very significant injury in, within the division. Like you said, all the odds for the Eagles jumped uh, immensely, which is um, always great and terrifying at the same time uh, when people are excited. Also, I see like the power rankings. They're like in the top 10 everywhere you look. Colin now. Coward it's... had them as number nine today. Again, we're recording Tuesday record uh, late Tuesday afternoons, early evening. So today, Colin, Colin, I almost called him Colin Robinson, like the the character in the FX program. What we do in the shadows, but vampire, Colin the uh, energy Coward. vampire, correct? Great character, phenomenal show overall. But yeah, great phenomenal character. show. Um, yeah, I saw like Pete Prisco had him in like number four, and I'm like, all right, like maybe we need to just pump the brakes <laughs> a little bit here. Um, but ten feels good. I feel good about top ten. I think that seems right. It seems fair at this point. But uh, very exciting stuff. Moving on to a team that looks like they are going to make the playoffs. That is your Philadelphia Phillies. Uh, they swept the Nationals. It feels like there's a little apathy setting in for a team that's about to make the playoffs. Uh, if you look at baseball, it's so or... weird, but I have some theories. I have some theories. Okay, well, I'll just let, I'll let you know first. So the real quick, uh, where are we? So the Phillies, according to Baseball Reference, ninety five point three percent chance to make the postseason, and that's with them. They're projecting that they're basically going to finish at five hundred. And you know, for the rest of the season, they're gonna they're gonna play 500 baseball and make the playoffs 95.3. They have, I think, they're four games up uh, on the loss column on the Brewers. So 
feeling pretty good, feeling like a team that's got a chance, a really good chance to make the playoffs, probably going to make the playoffs, but it almost feels like we're like going through the motions um, a little bit. So it's really, really strange. Um, I want to hear your theory. So why do you think that is? They didn't solidify themselves as a true contender early enough in the season where they had the rough start to the year and then they had the hot streak and then the inconsistencies where they're like getting swept every other weekend. They, they falter in those series against the Mets when there was a lot of juice and a lot of hype. And then they had the situation where the Mets fan club person is throwing out the first pitch <laughs> of the game and the vibes were a little off. And yes, they're, they're more likely than not going to be heading into the postseason. But I think also with the new postseason format, they wouldn't even be able to have a home game until round two. So they need to go to Atlanta and went two out of three on the road. So there's no hype like, oh, my God, this is going to be the first Phillies home playoff game in 11 years, first tailgate, all that. And they didn't do that early enough in the summer to overlap with the Eagles, who are now just has the city's city by, you know, the stones or however you want to say it there. And they didn't do enough in time to establish themselves as this new team, this new energy, this new vibe that's different than this decade of futility for the franchise after the golden era to lock themselves in the the cities and sports fans imaginations, because the Eagles are just going to dominate everything right now. They missed their shot to have this consistently great end of the summer. That's run of the postseason, a comfortable August and September, but then the birds came in. They have nothing to do now. Yeah. I, I think that what, I think the Mets series is a good one. The Mets, the two Mets series are good ones to point to. Cause I think that deflated a lot of people. They played. Really yeah, man, I, I was, I was really hyped still. And I'm like getting ready to yeah. just like, Oh, it's seven, seven Oh five, six 45. I'm ready to watch this. And then it was just, man, I, I don't know what I'm getting on every night. And that's again, that's the nature of baseball. It's a 162 sure. two game season. You know, great teams are losing like the best teams lose 60 games a year. Right. Yeah, uh, but it's still just a situation where I wonder if I think it speaks to a larger discussion about baseball as a whole. Whereas the Phillies have true star talent in this roster, they have the reigning MVP, they have a guy who finished second in Cy Young voting last year. They had another All Star in Kyle Schwarber. They have these pieces who are exciting, but there's just something. Uh, there's this energy and vibe around the team that they haven't really been able to shake off since 2011. I think it would take. You know, if they go to Atlanta and get swept in that three-game series, everyone's just like, yep. well, why did I even get invested over the last two weeks of the season going into the playoffs that this was the inevitability, right? Yeah, and it's, you know, their schedule's not... I could see why they're projected to go 500 because, quite frankly, I mean, down the stretch here, I, they beat, listen, they've beaten the Braves a, a pretty good amount, actually. They played pretty well. They beat the Dodgers. Like, they, they've played good teams and beat them, so I don't want to make that be the narrative here. Yeah, but it's just they but in the second half, man, they have they beat up on a lot of bad teams. They got beat by the Mets. Then they had that West Coast swing, which was just brutal. Um, the, the Giants lost seven straight going into that series and a Gabe Kapler sweeps. Them. That one crushed me, especially because the Gabe brutal. element, like you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Oh, just brutal. And then, um, you know, they come back, beat two, you know, win two to three against Miami sweep the Nationals. And it's like great. Like, but you can't like you said, you almost you can't get excited about it because it's not. There's no juice to those matchups. Like the, the Nationals and the, and the Marlins have have AAA lineups right now. Like they're awful. Like if you actually watch those games, you would have a lot of trouble identifying. Like, like I would say, I don't know, seven ninths of their lineups. Like, um, yeah. and it's and and they're just not good. Like not good players. Like frankly, or guys who just aren't ready. Like maybe shouldn't be in the big leagues quite yet. But they're here because those teams sold at the deadline, and they just don't have the. T- they they're bringing up guys to give them some some experience, some exposure, and that's great. 
But I mean, right now you're they're going into Miami. Listen, Miami can pitch. So like that's what's scary about them. Like you're you're getting Alcantara again, who they've actually fared very well against this season, surprisingly. But you, he might be he's one of the best pitchers in baseball. You're getting him, you're getting Cabrera, who's had a really good year. Then you get Lopez, who's had a little bit of a down year, but still pretty damn good. Then you go, like you already mentioned, you go to Atlanta, you got to go up against Freed and Schreider. <laughs> Not a good time. A Toronto team that is in a very similar situation to the Phillies. You know, they're they're clinging to a wild card spot. They they really want to make the playoffs. They got them for two. Then they go four against Atlanta. And then they the last 10 games are on the road. Granted, three in Chicago, four in Washington, then three in Houston to close it out. It's not an easy stretch here to close the season. So I think this apathy, I do think there is a, a feeling of, are we, are we going to get duped again? And then, yeah, like it's the third wild card spot. It does kind of put a little bit of a damper on things because it's, there's no, it almost sounds like split on a way, but like there's, there doesn't really feel like there's much drama. Like they're going to make the playoffs. Cool. Like, you know what I mean? They're going to be the second or the third. But then to your point, like they're going to play the Braves. They're probably going to lose in that series relatively quickly. Might not even get a home playoff game. So it's kind of like. You don't get that victorious feeling where say it's just a normal, you know, handful of years ago where it's a traditional three teams, uh, three division winners, one wild card team, five best of five game series. And you're thinking, well, Go down two and zero in the series, but then we have two home games in that game three. That crowd's gonna be awesome. The rally towels are gonna be out. It's you know we're we're turning the clock back to the late two thousands. All of that stuff and none of that seems realistic in terms of getting to the true true NLDS this year. Right, and I, and I it's just it, I get ending the postseason drought, and I get that's not a small thing, and it's maybe something that we're all sneezing at that maybe we shouldn't, but. When at when the, on the other end of that, you're looking at the Atlanta Braves in the first round. It, it's it it is it's hard to get excited now. Maybe maybe they sweep the Braves on the road, and maybe that adds a little bit of juice, adds a little bit of excitement. Maybe they come back to Philly, play the Braves again, take three out of four. Maybe that gets some excitement going. Maybe like some like maybe Bryce Harper just goes on a, a wild tear like he did at the end of last year, and that gets some people excited. Yeah. But I think that's the other thing too is like there's nothing they're winning these games. And a win is a win is a win. Like, I, I I am totally of that belief. But, like, there's nothing super compelling or exciting right now, right? Like, Bryce Harper has struggled a little bit since he's been back. Schwarber cooled off. It feels like he hit all 36 of his home runs in a month and hasn't hit one outside of it. Uh, yeah. Bohm was really hot for a while. He's cooled off. Hoskins is so up and down. Like, Muto, to his credit, has been, after a slow start, has been excellent. But, like, yep. there's nothing that's just compelling and exciting. Now Zach Wheeler's hurt. So like even the pitching performances, yeah, Nola's been, he's been up and down a little bit since after his really good start. Ranger Suarez has really struggled. Bailey Falter's actually been pretty good, but like, there's just nothing exciting, right? Like there's nothing that I, I can look at and say like, yeah, like this is happening right now with the Phillies and I'm juiced up about it. If it wasn't for work, I really wouldn't want to be like, let's stop what I'm doing tonight. And let's spend three and a half hours doing this. I just don't feel compelled to right now. And that I could speak it. to me as someone who's has a football mind in football season, regardless if it's the Eagles or college or other teams around the NFL, but there is just no magical feeling for that. And Hey, maybe they go down to Atlanta and they take, maybe they sweep Atlanta in Atlanta. You never know. That's possible. It's baseball. That's, that's what's weird about the baseball postseason because you're taking this super large sample size of the regular season and narrowing it down to a two or three game sample size come the postseason. But Seeing is believing, and if any Phillies fan out there isn't super excited about this or isn't hype or just kind of saying, hey, let's 
let's just see how it goes because I don't want to get my heart broken again or deal with all this BS again. I totally get it. Right. It's and it's to me, it's it sucks because I get what you're saying. This is a football town. I get that. And it's always going to be a football town forever and ever and perpetuity. It's this is the Eagles town. Everyone else comes second. I get it. But to me, growing up, like I, I was like, you know, the 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 term four for four. Like I was a four for four guy. I loved watching yeah. all four teams. I was just as excited when the Phillies did something great as when the Eagles did, or when the Sixers did, or when the Flyers did. And now I just, I don't, I just don't feel that excitement about the Phillies, and it almost bums me out that I don't feel that. I will say this though, I am excited about the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, a couple weeks now, we have uh, media day and training camp starting. The Montrez Harrell signing became official on Tuesday. Still, I think we've written some good columns at LB um, at Liberty Ballers. Dave Early had something, and so did Brian Taporic, just basically saying, like, there's nothing wrong with Montez Harrell. He's a pretty good player. The issue is going to happen in the playoffs. What happens when he struggles and defensively, when they put him in a bunch of pick and rolls and Doc Rivers doesn't want to go away from him, um, then what? I think that's where it's repeat. Yeah, it's, and that's that's the it's, trouble, right? It's just it's, the same there's thing nothing over in, and over again. What, what what Brian mentioned was there is nothing in Doc's history that suggests that he is going to go away from that. He's going to get a veteran, Dwight Howard, Andre Drummond, DeAndre Jordan. I will say he did go away from De- DeAndre Jordan in the playoffs as the backup last year. It was Paul Reed. So there was that. So like if there's like a, a modicum of hope, it's that. But I think what the issue is, is his history with Harold and other places. And that's really where this kind of, stigma with him comes from right is that series against the nuggets where he overplayed harrell against Jokic and didn't give uh zubac uh, as much run and that was the beginning of the end for him in la and we've seen some of those issues now carry over here um but yeah uh, liberty ballers please go check out all our stuff on harrell plus we're doing all our player profiles we have every single player uh we're going to now till camp starts and the last thing I, I do want to touch on a little bit of flyer stuff because a good friend of mine, Jordan Hall over at NBC sports, Philadelphia wrote an absolutely outstanding uh, feature story on John Tortorella, some really good stuff in there. He talked to a couple of former lightning players, uh, Tim Taylor one. Um, uh, I can't remember. It's going to kill me that I can't remember the other player, but I feel like a jerk. I uh, also talked to Bill Barber, who I did not realize was actually with the lightning organization at that time is now back Neither with the I. flyers as a senior advisor. Um, so he had some really good insight on Tortorella as well. And it's interesting. Some of the things that, that Jordan pointed out, like LeCavier was, was this overhyped guy, like not overhyped because he wound up being a hell of a player, but he was really hyped, like ridiculously hyped. They gave him the captaincy at 19 and Tortorella took it away from him. And now if you're the media, whatever the fan, like that looks bad, right? Like he was stripped of the captaincy, but like behind closed doors, what all the players took it as was, Tortorella was freeing him, letting him just be himself, letting him be a 19-year-old hockey player and finding his footing in the NHL. And if you look at LeCavier's career, it did, the way Tortorella coached him, you could argue, made him into the player he he became. He is a guy who was probably, I don't, he's probably not quite a Hall of Famer, but had a hell of a career with the Lightning. They retired his number, not so much in Philadelphia, but that's a whole other story. Um, but I guess for me, like reading some of these things about Tortorella, I hated I flat out hated the hiring when they made it. I thought it was like, OK, Correct. they're just they're just bringing this guy in to appease like, oh, here he is. He's a broad street bully. He's a tough guy. He's going to yell at people. Yada, yada. He's going to curse the media. Everyone's going to be happy. I will say that Jordan's column kind of did change my perspective a little bit that like 
all right, this guy actually does like a lot of his former players will actually tell you that they, they would go to bat for this guy and that they would fight for him. And I think that kind of says a lot. So I'm just curious, you know, your, your thoughts of the, uh, of the hiring at the time. And if there's anything you think that could change your mind or is it just, you have to see it and see a, a, a better hockey product in order to buy at all the Tortorella hire. Like most Philadelphians didn't like the hire. It seemed the most typical of flyers hire hires. And I mean that with the utmost disrespect. <laughs> and obviously I'm not like a, the main flyers guy. I don't really cover the, the flyers much for Philly voice, but I will say heard some rumblings already. Season hasn't started yet. And I'm not even an insider type rumor guy. You know that at all, but I've heard some, some rumblings. The vibes are not great. already. Hmm. I will say between the dynamics in the locker room in terms of, New guys coming in, whether that's coaching or players, and who's already there. I like can't imagine they didn't they didn't trade or sign any controversial players this offseason. Oh. oh, that too. I, yeah, that freaking guy. <laughs> that's insane. I mean, that's just like the most of them. Just they're they're just so tone deaf. They just have no self awareness. They are they are the New York Jets of the NHL. They are living oh, off wow. the laurels of something that happened in the seventies. They've been consistently mismanaged. They had a couple random, you know, near championship runs in 2010. And now uh, because the Flyers made the Stanley Cup, the, the Jets and probably went to two back-to-back AFC championship games. And they've just been, you know, pissing all over themselves since then. It hurts my heart that that feels right. Like that's actually a good comparison. And it, it breaks my heart that it is because it's so friggin' true. And they do. And the, and the Flyers do Flyer stuff. The Jets do Jet stuff. And it really is that vibe. Wow, what a really depressing note to end this podcast on, but I think that's where we're going to leave I it. mean, that that sums up Philly sports well. I, I don't mean it in like the 2022, but just the trajectory of our lives, right? That's that's the perfect way to end the podcast. Yes, I, I guess, yeah, poetic. Uh, but <laughs> can you say something? I don't know. Say something positive. Let's let's like cleanse this. Oh, man. Something about the Eagles. Uh, the Eagles won a game. Let's, let's just something positive. I think A.J. Brown scores on the Eagles first offensive possession. I love line. that. There we go. Let's end it on that. I like that prediction. Yeah. He is Seamus Clancy. I am Paul Hudrick. You are listening to the Thirsty Dogs Drink Faster podcast. Please rate, subscribe, download wherever you get your podcast, and we will talk to you after hopefully an Eagles win on next Monday night against the Vikings.